2: Welcome to the ID10T Podcast number 1092. Head on over to ID10T.com and see what's new in the shop. Um, Lots of fun stuff. Putting up more stuff every damn week. So go uh, go please check it out. But enough about our stuff. Let's talk about you, the ID10T community. Events at ID10T.com to get on the corkboard. Like Jay Gonzo who writes... Uh, I spent most of the last decade writing, drawing, designing, and publishing my own comic book series, La Mano del Destino, an epic tale of lucha libre, set in an alternate universe, 1960s Mexico, that is drawn, colored, and produced to look like a vintage comic book. After all this time, it is finally time to collect the series into a trade paperback, uh, as I had originally wanted to additionally publish each issue in Spanish as they came out, but couldn't afford to as I was self-financing. The collected edition will be both in English and Spanish as a flip book, one half, Uh, ...has the entire story in English, flip it over, and the other half has the entire story in Spanish. I am kickstarting the trade paperback so that I can connect directly with the woefully underserved Latinx comic book community... ...and bring uh, them an exciting and authentic representation of our culture. The Kickstarter can be found by searching La Mano del Destino on the Kickstarter site. Thank you, Jay Gonzo. Amazing work all this time and commitment putting out uh, your comic. And what an amazing idea to create a, a, a multilingual flipbook. It, it's genius. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, to anyone else, events at ID10T.com to get your thing mentioned on the corkboard. This episode is Aaron Moriarty, who is on The Boys, which is an incredible show. If you're not watching it, it's amazing. Um, my wife and I love it. Season 2 is going on right now. It's It's on Amazon Prime. You can watch it. You should watch it. Uh, it's really great. Um, from the mind of Eric Kripke, who created Supernatural, um, The Boys is just a superb show. Uh, everyone on the show is great. Aaron plays Starlight, a.k.a. Annie, and she is fantastic uh, on the show. And this was such a fun conversation. It, you know, it's so fun to have guests on and discover that they're really into philosophy. So we... You know, we kind of dovetailed into this great conversation about mindfulness and existentialism and, and meaning and all this, this wonderful stuff, but uh, just a really, really, really fun chat. So much appreciation and respect to Aaron Moriarty for being uh, a phenomenal actor and for also being a brilliantly philosophical and incredibly nice human being. So here you go. This is the ID10T podcast number 1092 with the fantastic Aaron Moriarty. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? God, you have a much better lighting setup, and I've been doing this for so long, and I have literally (laughs) the worst lighting setup you can have.
3: Well, you're backlit.
2: That's the problem. You're backlit.
3: That's why. But you know what? I can still see you. Like, I played around with it before because I'm in front of a window right now, Yeah. but I've been doing so many Zoom meetings lately, and I've just been playing with my camera and its position because this is now the world that we're in and how we had need to adjust. But I can still I can still see you. It's not as bad as some of the Zoom meetings I've been doing. If I if
2: I lean back, I'm in utter darkness. If I so I have to like <laughs> so I have to like awkwardly lean forward to some of the light. I've experimented with put, there's a wall here. I've experimented uh-huh. with putting light like a weird vampire because I'm just like yeah. totally watching so Yeah. I think I gotta move this
3: I don't side. know. I think people are forgiving right now. Do you know what I mean? I feel like yes. I feel like they're more forgiving than they usually <laughs> are in terms of quality because everyone is just doing their best at the moment.
2: You're absolutely right. It's the little things that we get hung up on are like, no one cares what no. your lighting setup is.
3: We're, and it, we're, yeah. If they do, they're caring about the wrong things, you know?
2: Yeah. Or there is that also, sometimes people can go through, into like this veil of denial because they don't want to think about, the big ticket items and so they just focus on Uh really stupid things like my sandwich is cold like okay (laughs) maybe you're being distracted yes because you cannot deal with everything else
3: yeah yeah exactly
2: so let me just first of all say just Uh because it's an audio podcast Uh your home is gorgeous uh i see like a spanish style maybe uh late 1920s style spanish which is which is our house even though you can't tell from this room
3: Mm. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think my, my building was built in the night. My building was built in the 1920s and it is, it's Spanish style and I love them. Like I'm originally from, um, New York city. And when I came out to LA, all of the architecture that appealed to me most was the, uh, Spanish style houses and the buildings. And I just find them to be the most beautiful. And the last time I was looking for, um, a condo, I looked at so many boxy ones that were Mm -hmm. modern and really nice, but they felt more like bachelor pads. They were a bit sterile. And then I walked into this place and it just had character and I'm just so, I'm just really into anywhere that's got a bit of history and you can see it in the aesthetics. You know what I mean? And then you update it and customize it to your own liking, but I love old, I love old architecture and old places.
2: Yeah. And, and in LA, this is about there, there is, there is a stratum of Los Angeles that dates Mm -hmm. back to the late 1800s, but it's very, it's very small and you really Mm -hmm. have to search for it. So a lot of L.A. architecture history Mm -hmm. really kind of starts in the 20s when it starts Mm -hmm. booming with the film industry and people start moving out to Los Angeles. So for us to be Los Angelinos, it's like, yeah, this is our history. But to any other part of the country saying like, my building is so old, it was built in like 28. They're like, Uh uh, you know, know. this is our history. So it's gorgeous. It's It's just a gorgeous place.
3: Yeah.
2: Do you like, do you like, uh, do you watch a lot of renovation shows?
3: Okay. So, so, you know, I feel like if I got into them, I would love them. The reason why I'm obsessed with architecture and interior design, because my mom works in interior design and growing up, we're from New York city and we grew up, I grew up predominantly in this like big pre-war quintessential, like upper West side apartment and the way she, her style was beautiful and impeccable Mm -hmm. and, I try and kind of emulate her to the degree that I can, but she instilled in me this kind of obsession with interior design. And I also just feel like, um, I feel like as an actor, you know, we have a lot of periods, extended periods of dormant time. So a house to me is something that just, you can always have a project going on in a way to, upgrade it and make it more yours. And so I would say for me, interior design has always played a role in my life and heart the way fashion does for some women, you right. know?
2: Right. Yeah. It's, it It reminds me just sort of, um I mean, not to be weird about the stuff in your background, mm-hmm. but my wife and I, <laughs> we re, we like to restore houses. And so we're very much wow. into into sort of like interior design architecture and we yeah. watch a lot of shows. And so yeah. what I love about how your place is appointed is that it looks like my wife has this theory that uh-huh. you, don't, you don't try to necessarily put into a place what the building isn't exactly asking for. You kind of pick mm-hmm. that speak to you and mm-hmm. you are kind of the story that helps tie it all together. So mm-hmm. there's this really great industrial wall lamp in the background and it looks mm-hmm. like, trying to see if that's like a little mid-century piece, but then this really great, this really great um, rug that, and so everything (laughs) really talks to each other in a really great way, which is, I imagine, expressive of who who you are as an artist.
3: Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I'm also such a, I'm such a homebody. Like, ironically, um, despite my job, I'm pretty introverted, and so for me, building a home that was reflective of myself that I feel totally comfortable in was really important because also, you know, you travel a lot for acting and I'm gone customarily like half of the year. And so this was the first place that I owned and I owned it as of a couple of years ago. And it was the first place that really felt entirely my own. And so it was the first time that I felt like I had full creative license to just do with it what I wanted and so, I don't know. I just really, just like you said, it's to me it felt like since I am a homebody, the perfect opportunity to kind of cultivate cultivate a space that's reflective of you, but that you feel totally comfortable in, mm-hmm. and that's aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, you know, is this uh, your
2: first home? Is this your first? This mm-hmm. your first one? First so what So what advice do you have for people who are Mm -hmm. maybe home right now and experiencing Mm -hmm. their home more than just a place to sleep and eat and shower Mm -hmm. up that are saying, you know, like, I want to figure out who I am and how to express myself Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. design, like, what are some tips that you would give Mm -hmm. to people?
3: honestly like one of the things that was really helpful to me and this is this is pretty nerdy when it comes to interior design i think it's going i think it's a level of effort that maybe not a lot of people would consider putting in but it pays off Mm -hmm. is like i have a gallery wall and it has a lot of artwork on it and it's it literally made like um a word document with screenshots of the <laughs> photos and artwork and arranged it on the document to see how it would would look all together you know what i mean to see how it would look all together yeah. according to the dimensions but i would say like boards like pinterest is so popular right and you mm-hmm. can i would say one of the benefits of like instagram and pinterest is all save things that inspire me for style or home Especially Pinterest, and when I was um, decorating my apartment, I made a mood board for my apartment, and it was it was so like I would see so many pieces of furniture or like my dining room area was totally inspired by one photograph I saw on Pinterest. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I love like, I love a mix of things, but I love kind of Scandinavian furniture and, and, and mid-century design mixed with like eclectic vintage. And so I would just search for that. And, and I kind of just copied a bunch of things and combined a bunch of things. So my home is really derivative, but I would say like visual, representations of what you would want and then just going out and trying to find them and if you're on a budget honestly there are so many websites and furniture stores right now that are not super expensive and if you if you're building a home and you want to upgrade it a little bit and you're just you have a good eye and you just are committed to the search you can find really cute things on a budget
2: yeah yeah you know, I, I I've had this conversation with a lot of people about how I love sat. We love almost everything in our house is either antique or salvage mm-hmm. or upcycled, mm-hmm. and it's just the the word got out on that a handful of years ago, and now stuff that you've it's like the markup is getting crazy oh my god it's It's insane like 400 percent of what it was like five or six years ago you're like i mean it's a cool old window but it's just an old you know like let's not get really exactly $1,800 really i know do you have go-to sites that you like to find bits and bobs of things
3: yeah i mean i would say well i would say that i have done a lot of um I have done quite a bit of restoration hardware. I've done a little bit of West Elm. I've done, um, in terms of vintage, like there's this vintage rug site that I think has the most beautiful rugs I've ever seen called Woven Abode and I love rugs. Like to yep. me, the r- I just, I love them. And then um, I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, Room and Board has really good stuff. Yeah. Um, Lulu and Georgia has really good stuff. Like they, and then also, but to be honest, like you can go on, like you can buy little things from like. First of all, CB2 rocks. CB2 oh, has yeah. awesome items. cb is great. Yeah, CB2 is great. But then you can go to like you can go to Target and you can go to I- I- IKEA and then you can fill in the missing pieces with some really good stuff from them that's really inexpensive, you know what I mean? So I think if you have enough nice pieces that you've maybe found that are, I don't know if refined is the right word, but just like well-made and you mix it, balance it with stuff that's more budgeted, like from Target and Ikea, I think you can make a beautiful home. Yeah, I mean, Ikea has great stuff, you know what I mean? So for me, it was like, a few like the non-negotiable for me was my vintage rug but then I was totally like my bed frame which is beautiful is from Urban Outfitters and it's not expensive you know what I mean so it's a mix of things and deciding where you want to spend your money and where you know and then hopefully you can just have a good good eye and like kind of go on websites you wouldn't expect and you could find things that are really nice you know
2: yeah, I found a there, there's a really good. I've gotten a few cool rugs on this site called killem.com, dot com. K i l i m.
3: Oh yeah, I feel like I've heard of that.
2: I mean, I got this great antique ten and a half foot runner for like, I don't know, it was like six hundred dollars or something. And, and yeah, if you saw that on Melrose or at one of the bit, it would be like oh. three or four thousand know? dollars. Yeah. Yeah.
3: No, I mean this vintage rug was really expensive from a be- from a website that has beautiful rugs. But then the runner in my hallway is from Etsy, and it was yeah. nothing. Yeah. And people see both of them and they assume they're kind of of the same quality. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's a balance. It's a mix and match. Um, uh, but I don't know. It's, it was so fun to decorate it. But of course I've been sitting in my apartment in quarantine, having decorated my apartment like a year and a half ago. Um, and I'm really happy with the way it's decorated, but I'm bored of my environment. And so of course, <laughs> like my idea is to redecorate, but I know I, it's, unnecessary and I'll regret it you know what I mean I just (laughs) want change you know what I mean I want to be on the move and so it's just funny the way that like I think um we're we're forced to be so still right now and it's funny how I don't know what the anxiety of that uh can manifest you know like I would love to redecorate the home that I've worked so hard and on and I love the decorations for but I still want to refurnish it
2: well, yeah, especially because so many of us are so used to, um, if that makes sense, uh, we we live through doing rather than living through being, right? So it's very difficult oh, no. to sit still. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have anything to do, you start feeling like, do I even exist? Because I, do I exist if I'm not doing I something? I know. And so it feels like one of the great lessons of this, and there are many, mm-hmm. one of them is like, how do we sit with ourselves? And how do we mm-hmm. be okay just being and not having to like, I got to do shit, you know, like, how do we do
3: that? Yeah, I would say for me, from the beginning, that's been the most confronting thing, because this all started, and in the beginning, like a lot of other people, you know, I leaned into it, and I embraced the stillness of it, but that became, um, that became old kind of quickly, and it was really confronting for me to realize how much I define myself in how. What am I doing? What's what's the level of my productivity instead of just being? And, and, and I feel like when you're doing, you're often relying on so many external factors to validate you. Right. And I wasn't aware of how much I was doing that. And then this all went down, and you know, like the entertainment industry, it really shut down to a certain extent. And there were certain things still happening, but I've never been more still. And the things that came up in terms of like confronting yourself, how much do I rely on these external forces to Mm -hmm. define myself? How much do I wrap my identity around doing and being productive instead of just being able to be? And I just think that that has been a universal issue for myself and a lot of people I know, but it's a luxury issue to contemplate because when you sure. consider the state of the world right now and how yes. people are being affected, do you know what yes. I mean? Yes. Just the mere ability to ruminate over things and get introspective. Um, I, re- I recognize the, the, the privilege of that.
2: Understood. Yes, but sorry. it's
3: definitely been confronting.
2: I, um, my wife and I, our favorite, our favorite show of the past mm-hmm. year, um, was The Boys. Was
0: and, it? Yeah, <laughs> I feel like
2: two of our big shows were what we do in the shadows and uh-huh. The Boys, and you know Rick and Morty, and then yeah. so we a bunch yeah, of design yeah. and investigation discovery shows. But I've known Eric Kripke for 25 years. When no we were, way, when we were basically kids, I was in this low budge movie, and he was the first AD, and we've been friends since like 1994. Wow. And Then And now, now like, watching, like, oh, Eric is one of the most accomplished showrunner creators in television. It's so wonderful because I've just, you know, I love the guy. I've just known him for so long.
3: He's such a good dude, and it's so funny, though, because he'll tell us this story about how... He's told me this more than once about how he once got hired like years and years ago to be a first AD on a job and he had no idea what the fuck he was doing. So I wonder if that was it. <laughs> I'm sure that was it. I'm sure that was it. <laughs> he talks about it to this day.
2: Yeah, I had lunch with him about, I don't know, a handful of months before quarantine, maybe the end of last year, beginning uh-huh. of this year. And, uh-huh. uh, and it was just so funny to sort of like, how did we get here? Like, you know, how, where did time go? You know, it was just one of those yeah. things. But he's, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him because uh, he said something that I've not heard often in this business, which is, Rather than like try to build an empire where he's overseeing a bunch of, he goes. You know what? I just like the intimacy of focusing on one show. Mm. It allows me to have balance with my family. I get to hang out with my kids. I don't have to stress. Yeah. And I was like, that is an incredibly enlightened and very mentally healthy approach for a business yeah. that that is not common in. That yeah. That
3: in. Yeah, and I, listen, um, the actors on The Boys reap the benefits of that because. I I I don't know. This might just be a personal projection because I'm actually not very good at multitasking. But I think you can multitask to a certain degree before you're just overextended, right? So I feel like we really benefit from the boys being his primary, um, his primary, um, you know, exertion of creative energy. Uh, because our show has so much going on in it. It's so like, I, to be honest, after shooting season two, which had so much going on and I've watched all of it, I kind of forget some of what happened in season one, not with my character, but other characters. And it'll be brought up to me there. Every episode is so packed with storyline and characters. And our ensemble cast is huge that I I think we would need a showrunner who is just solely dedicated to overseeing our show and who is allowing it to be his or her primary focus. So I think we reap the benefits of that. And the nice thing about Eric is exactly what you said. Like, he's just so human. He's just a good dude. You know what I mean? Like he does, he adores his family and his family is a priority. And we're all aware of that. You know what I mean? And showrunners are often pretty i mean there it's a hard job and they're pretty overworked but he's always made it clear that like you know the first year we went to new york comic con he was staying in new york for an extra 24 hours to go to a family member's bat mitzvah in new jersey and that's just what he'll do do you know like he's just a good first and foremost human being and so to have him as our boss, it's it sets the tone of the set when the top of the chain is like that, yeah. and he's got a no asshole policy because he's so grounded and down to earth. And it's the first set I've ever worked on where a boss has said that, and it's actually been um, it's actually been true. Too oh, great, yeah, yeah. So he's a great dude, um, great dude to work for. Um, we call him our stepdad because he just kind of has that presence.
2: Yeah. About him. And he's really funny too. He's just a funny, funny, warm guy. But sort of what you were saying about him just focusing on this one show, it sort of makes me think mm-hmm. about your design philosophy where
3: mm-hmm.
2: when you have the ability to focus on details and really think everything through the boys really is a show of moments that, mm-hmm. can't, that, like I, I, and I want to be careful because I don't, I don't want to spoil anything. So I don't want to talk about specific story points because if someone's mm-hmm. listening, I don't want them to go, "Oh shit, I'm not caught up." They, <laughs> right. I, anyone should go watch the show immediately. Mm-hmm. But in the first episode, something very dramatic happens, like right away with Jack Knight's yeah. character, yeah. that you're like, "Oh fuck!" and it, <laughs> and it really sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of that experience of watching Breaking Bad. Where oh my god! You watch the show, and all of a sudden, you're like, "What the fuck just happened?" And, totally. And you gotta, you you have to like hold the hand of the person next to you because you can't. Mm-hmm. Be stressful and amazing and and mm-hmm. crazy and and the boys has that uh, all the way throughout the series, nonstop. Oh yeah.
3: No, we definitely have shock. We're not, we're not subtle with our shock value and how it's kind of present every single episode. But yeah, I mean, I I like that because, um, you know, we have so much content that's out on Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and, and so many TV shows, and they're all so good that I can get overwhelmed sometimes. So when I choose a show to watch, like Breaking Bad, which right. is still to this day, like, one, one of my number ones, and a show has that beginning surprise element to it yeah I just love it because I know i'm I'm I or I know I'm in for something that maybe I haven't seen before, and we've just seen so much at this point so that's why when I read the pilot script for the boys, you know it's like you never part of the fallacy of being an actor um You just don't, you have no control over the end product. You have no idea how it's going to turn out. If the script is brilliant, you still don't know if it's going to be executed properly. It's a good and a bad thing because if it turns out poorly, it's not entirely your fault, hopefully. But if it turns out, you know, if it turns out brilliantly, it's like, it's great. And it's sometimes a pleasant surprise because the amount of times something turns out as well as you'd hope is less than people think who are outside of the industry, I think. <laughs> so I read the first pilot of The Boys, and I thought, no matter what happens with this show, it's going to be so fun to film, and it's going to be fucking bold. Like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I have never, within the first three scripts of a season of a show, read, uh, and this is like a tiny spoiler, but not as big is the one about jack Wade and what he goes through but with fatal cunnilingus where this girl is sitting on this guy's face and she squishes him to death you know what i mean <laughs> and it's like bare minimum just is just gonna be great
2: name for a band by the way that is a great name for a band
3: Fatal kind of language.
2: performing at SpaceLand. Yeah, I was
3: like, I just don't like. I don't even care. And then it was, just, it was great that people. It, it was received well, and people liked it. But I was like, this show is so fun to do. I just kind of I let go, and I was like, I don't even care at this point. This is so wild, and every episode holds so much. I don't know. There's so much surprise and shock that it's just like to see what comes out of. Eric Kripke's brain is a delight, and to be to happen to be able to act in it is just fun, you know. Yeah.
2: yeah, and again, without going too much into detail, the show really does a good job of being a pretty interesting, great commentary on our obsession mm-hmm. with social media culture and our obsession with celebrity mm-hmm. and what that means. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it the, the show is just a really fun ride and mm-hmm. I really, I, I, I hope it goes on. I really mm-hmm. hope it goes on for a lot of seasons. You're great in the show and it and it, and it, it, really is just, I didn't know what to expect. I just knew Eric had done the show and I said to my mm-hmm. wife, like, oh, my friend Eric he created Supernatural. Mm-hmm. He's got this mm-hmm. new show. There was signage for it all over Comic-Con last year. Yeah. And within five minutes we were like, Jesus Christ, this is amazing. <laughs> and, and we binged like we watched them all immediately. So, yeah. Uh, do you, uh, because also if you're lucky enough to work for a long time, sometimes, like you said, you work on things you can't control the outcome and yes. oh, what are you working on? Oh, I'm working on this thing, but I don't know if it's something, but to work on something that you're proud of and you can't wait to yeah. talk is a real gift in, in this business.
3: Yeah, it is. And then for it to be an ongoing thing, you know what I mean? Because yeah. prior to this, I'd done a little television, but mostly like, mostly movies and mostly indies. So they were short, really short shoots. You know, you invest yourself in them for a very small, finite amount of time, and then you let it go. If they do well, great. If they don't, you know, it is what it is. It teaches you to kind of just be present with the shooting experience. But for this to kind of catalyze any excitement and, and positivity in the reception and then be able to go back to work
2: yeah.
3: is – is just an unprecedented experience for me. And it's just, it's very cool. And it incentivizes all of us to go back and, and, and like, you know, with season two, which there can be pressure with, it's like the difficult second album. Right. And I think Eric felt that, and we all felt that. And um, with season two, I think Eric was just incentivized to top his game. And I think he did do that. You know, I think, um, luckily. So, but it's just cool. It just motivates you to go back to work and like, keep working hard on all of our, all of our characters and, and, and add to their nuances with each season as we, as we're able to live in their shoes a little bit more and, and, and be able to take their history into account because we've played it on screen And, um, yeah. And the people on that set are really wonderful people. So, so it's just been overall a really unprecedented experience for me. And the ride so far has been really great. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I feel like an audience member when I get each script and each script has just the craziest shit in it. Every script has like a shock value moment. Um, (laughs) And it's just fun, you know, whether I get to be in it or I get to observe my coworkers doing it. It's just like, I, I, I have had many moments when I've looked over to my coworkers on set and we're like, I cannot believe that this is our job. Like we get paid for this, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, because it's, you know, it, it's so interesting because it is about superheroes, but it's also not at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the superhero part is almost incidental to mm-hmm. the sort of commentary of the show and whereas a traditional superhero show, like the, the 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 powers are sort of demonstrative. It's like, oh, look, you know, Superman can shoot laser. You know, he can do that. But with this, mm. the powers create this complex level of added responsibility to the character, mm-hmm. and also add to the shock value. Like they drive the momentum of the story at the same mm-hmm. time in a way that's really unique. I mean, it's. It, the show is 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 really a triumph do, do, do you when you went to comic con last year had the show aired yet or was it about to air
3: so it hadn't aired yet it was no literally it was. about to air and i and so it was it was it was really it was a really fun experience but simultaneously i and we were also shooting season two at the time right we had gone picked up for season two prior to season 1's release. So Comic-Con was really fun. I think because it was a graphic novel beca- before it was a show, we already had a pre-established fan base, so we went there and there was already a level of enthusiasm and there were a lot of fans, but it was the re- you know, it wasn't out. So we right. had all the hopes in the world, but you just never know what to expect. And so I remember being there and it was really, it was really celebratory. It was really fun. We were all soaking it up, but the show wasn't coming out for about a week. Okay. And um, we were in the middle of shooting season two. And I just thought, God, maybe just because quality doesn't always correlate with success. And I believed (laughs) in the quality of our show, but it's really like, it pushes the envelope. It's a little bit, You know, it's very irreverent. So I didn't know if that would translate to it being received well. But I remember being at Comic-Con and thinking, this is so fun. This is either going to be like the kickoff to a really awesome ride, or it's going to be the moment where we just all have to soak this up and our time (laughs) here together and be grateful that we even have this experience. You know, because I also was thinking, well, if the show comes out and we're in the middle of filming season two – And it's not received well. The rest of filming season two is going to be the most awkward, (laughs) weird experience in the world. And then it came out and then it did well. And it was the rest of season two was awesome. And it was overwhelming because we were going to set every day in Toronto and and, and we were all together when it came out and did well. So that was really fun. But Comic-Con was a really fun experience, but also I just did not... I'm so suspicious of the, of being, I don't know, of the potential success of something. I think you're conditioned as an actor, if you work more and more to just keep expectations totally at bay. So we were celebrating and we had fans there, but it wasn't out. And I couldn't get over, I couldn't get over that. I needed for it to come out and prove to me that it would do relatively well before I felt fully celebratory but lucky luckily that gratifying moment came but um yeah comic-con was really fun and i i gotta be honest like i'm I'm bummed that we're i mean of of course we can't be there this year it would be it's impossible but i missed it i missed that experience like you know, like like-minded people who are just nerding out together, being in the same place and just having a blast. I really missed it.
2: You also would have seen a lot of Starlight cosplay too.
3: Yeah, yeah. And that
2: would have been that would have blown your <laughs> mind because I've 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 witnessed that before mm-hmm. when someone starts on a show and then all of a sudden it starts to tip and become a thing, and they're like, "Oh my god, that person's <laughs> dressed!" You know, and then they just love the you know, they marvel at the detail and then watching them go up and nerd out with the fan and go, oh my God, your cosplay is amazing. It's exactly what my character is. I mean, that type of connection, it's just what Comic-Con is all about. But, you know, we will get back there someday, but it couldn't couldn't happen this year.
1: Yeah. Um, Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Do you, when you're on the, when you're filming, Mm -hmm. you have a, you sort of talk about like creating your home space. Do you have Mm -hmm. a ritual or do you have some things that you bring with you to try to Mm -hmm. homify your away Mm -hmm. space? Or do you mm-hmm. it just a temporary place to sleep?
3: Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely, especially because when we film in Toronto, we're, we're there for about six, seven months. So I definitely try and make it my own home space. If it were, if it were more temporary, I think I would bring things from home, but it's when I get there, I have my little things and they're really trivial, but they're the little things that like that that keep me sort of grounded on a day to day basis, and they're kind of silly. It's like there is a specific incense they sell it in Toronto. I buy that. I buy the you know the foods I love in Canada. I cook a lot at home. I buy anything that doesn't like I buy a Chemex because most places don't have the coffee supplies that I want, but mostly for me. And it was interesting because last year I had just gotten a puppy before we went off to film season two. And I was kind of terrified because when you're, when you have all the time in the world, having a puppy is great. They give you purpose. They're, they're adorable. I mean, obviously it's hard work as well, but I had only had my puppy so far during a period of not working. So I thought this is either going to be amazing or it's going to be really difficult because our schedule is pretty intense. Yeah. But I, what I noticed when I brought my dog with me is that having a dog and traveling around with them, especially when you move to a new city for six months, the where I was living immediately felt like home just oh, because that's... I had him there. It was, it was the most, um, grounding sort of ritual or addition I could have had in my home. And I was relieved because we have these very long days on set. And I would think, oh, maybe I'm not going to want to come home and walk the dog. I just usually want to just crash. But coming home and having the dog to come home to, to kind of take my mind off of the day's work and shed that day of work and be able to unwind and have him make it feel like home. That to me was the most impactful, truly.
2: Uh, That's great. I know we, we got a puppy a month before quarantine oh wow Uh, but he's a very large very large dog and he's Uh and my favorite part of the day is my wife and i will kind of walk him just before sunset and it's Mm -hmm. just meditative and he loves Mm -hmm. it and there's so many smells for him and we're walking Mm -hmm. outside together and it's you know it 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 really does it it really is like soul healing to sort of feel like Uh, I'm breathing, I'm walking, my dog's happy, you know it's good.
3: yeah and it simplifies things like I imagine it's it's to a very 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 minor degree inversion of what my friends say having a kid is like in terms of it kind of gives you perspective and makes you it simplifies things like you walk outside with your dog and hopefully you can be present with that, and you just kind of like they just kind of make you laugh and you observe the way that they, they look at the world and you are able to just kind of forget momentarily about what else is going on. At least that's what I kind of got a dog Yeah, because it's that force. Like, no, you've got to take that sunset walk every day because your dog needs exercise mm
2: -hmm.
3: and it gives you a, it gives you a newfound sense of purpose. And I think that's just, healthy to have, especially out of an animal that all it's going to do is reciprocate the love you give it. You know what I mean? All it wants is love. It's so sweet.
2: <laughs> and also it, and much in the same way, like the, the comparison to having kids, at least this part is, mm-hmm. I, I think there's definitely the connection of, it gets you out of your head and it gets you out of focusing on yourself and it's the so yeah. Not just in this business, but with our with our sort of social media obsessed culture. Yes, we're always, you know, and the the news is being delivered to us is about stuff we are, yes. we already like, and it's like the music it knows we already like. So we're so much oh, right. all the time, and it's so it's so refreshing to be like, oh yeah, this, yes, this is another being that I need to focus on, and I'm not I don't yeah. I'm, not gonna, I'm not thinking about myself, and that's good
3: it's therapeutic. Like I remember for two years prior to me getting a dog, my therapist was like, you need to get a pet. I'm telling you, it's going to be really good for you to have another being to focus on. Yeah. And I was like, ah, it's a lot of responsibility. And then I didn't really intend to get a dog. He kind of just like literally fell in my lap and I was like, okay, this is my dog. And it's true. It's that, it's that, it's that it pops that Bubble that that we tend to live in I I also think that like when you're an actor You're you you you're kind of selling yourself. You are the product mm-hmm. and so it can it can kind of lead to a living in a, a chronic narcissistic bubble, which I am constantly trying to fight against sure. and for me the dog thing has been pivotal in that it's those little things that keep you grounded and not just, especially right now in quarantine too. And we're all in our spaces and in our heads a lot, and we don't have the resources we normally would to interact with other people and disconnect from ourselves in a good way. And, and so I think it's really beneficial to have something like a dog that you can exert that, Not even exert it, but that you can use to step outside of your own mental bubble that is being the, the thickness of which is being enhanced, I think, by quarantine and the state of the world right now.
1: Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
0: Whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands, ShipStation lets you automate routine shipping tasks and easily handle returns. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications with ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard. Plus, you can access industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code WONDERY today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com promo code WONDERY.
2: You bring up such a great point, too, about the sort of the pull, like the narcissism bubble. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, because you can be on the phone all day talking about auditions that you might have or like, or, yeah. meetings, or press or, you know, and it's it sort of, it, do, it does sort of encourage you to focus on yourself because as performers, mm-hmm. effectively we are like a corporation that we're building in a way, you know? Yeah. You know, and your PR yeah. is the marketing team and your manager is the management. And and yeah it can be very easy, the trapping of defining your self-worth by external things that have very little to do with Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Um, How do you, how do you, it sounds like you have a really healthy approach Mm -hmm. to everything. So how do you maintain that? And what advice do you have for people who might be too drawn to look to external Mm -hmm. events and go, oh, I am a failure because this external thing, Mm -hmm. like if the boys hadn't done well, Mm -hmm. you know, but of course it did, Mm -hmm. but if it hadn't, like, How do you not internalize that and go, oh, Mm. now I feel bad about me, even though this has very little to do with me?
3: Mm. Well, first of all, I did do I did make all the mistakes early on. And I think that like I think it can be really hard to get into acting really young because it's such an adult business and sometimes your, your growth and your mature maturation process can be almost too accelerated. Mm-hmm. But, um, one of the benefits of starting young, cause my first job was, was when I was 15, but I really didn't start working consistently until I was like 17, 18 is that I did make all of those mistakes early on, but it, I wasn't immune to them. You know what I mean? I wasn't immune to taking things very personally. And I think, think most people I know who have gotten to the point of, of maybe perhaps taking things less personally and being able to let them go and, and, and less reliant on those external factors to identify you, they also went through the period of, of making those mistakes, taking things way too personally. And eventually it just becomes kind of exhausting. And for me, it was like, I couldn't stay in this. I couldn't stay in this industry and in this job if I kept up with those mental patterns of blaming blaming myself for everything. But it was hard. It took a while. I'm still not entirely immune to it. But um, you know, I think really, when in doubt, I just try and really look at the facts of things and ask myself if the thoughts I'm thinking are, I mean, are they based in fact? Like, are they true? Or am I just spinning a narrative in my head to fit the conspiracies I have and to fit, like, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember if there's um, a negative term for the term confirmation bias, but it basically is confirmation bias, right? Like you're, you're seeking out things to confirm the, the, personal and mental conspiracies you have in your head that that say that kind of maybe the world is out to get you or you're the curse of projects and that's why they're not doing well and i think it just comes down to you know you really need to get real with yourself is that really true like how much control did i have over the outcome of this as actors there's so much out of our control and there are so many factors that contribute to a project doing well or booking a job. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think hopefully, you know, as actors continue to work in the industry, they just learn more and more how little is in their control and how unfortunately a lot of the time talent and hard work doesn't correlate with results you want, but they, it it will pay off eventually. I do think that if you work really hard, um, you will find your pocket or niche in the industry, whether it's your own self-made pocket or other people hiring you. But I think it's really like getting real with yourself and asking yourself, is this true? Or is this my self spun narrative you know, and I, and you know, this has not been an easy place for me to come to. Like I've been in therapy for years. I needed, I needed assist, the assistance of therapy and really good friends who are very grounded. A lot of whom are older than me. So they kind of have, have their priorities really uh, well in check. And um, that becomes contagious if you surround yourself with the right people you know, but it's hard. It's, 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 it's much easier said than done. And I think it's also a kind of fake it till you make it type of thing, which is just trying to let it go. And, you know, it's true. Like I do think that, that, that that combined with just getting really introspective and really trying to be as honest with yourself as possible. I think the combination of that will eventually inevitably lead to maybe being a bit more, um, I don't know, less harsh on yourself.
2: Yeah, so you used a really brilliant word to describe mm. the narratives that we use mm. in we have stories, which was conspiracies, which is mm-hmm. true because you know, we come up with a conspiracy because our brain needs to connect two things that are seemingly unrelated, and so we have to yeah. grout those tiles, and often we will do that with whatever our default settings are. And if we hate ourselves, then it's all oh, that happened because I'm a piece of shit. And of course mm-hmm. I, I always do, that. or that happened because the world is out to get me or that happened. because. Right. And so that what you're saying about, is this true? I read, I don't know. this might've been mm-hmm. on like the mindfulness subreddit or something, but it was about yeah. one way that someone found to combat that very thing you're talking about was mm-hmm. to ask the question, who, who told me this? Right. You know, it's like, if you go, oh, well, you know, this probably didn't work out because that person like, who told you that? Well, "Well, no one actually told me that. Okay. Well, then you don't know if it's true. And that helped kind of dissipate, you know, that, that kind of rabbit hole of that shame (laughs) spiral and that self-loathing Because if you can't confirm in your head, like, oh yeah, no one told me that. Right. Sometimes help break that pattern.
3: Yeah, exactly. Very often there's no... There's no evidence to support some of the, the mental and personal conspiracies we have floating around our head yeah. that we think, you know, in terms of the world be working against us, but also um, in, in terms of our placement in the world and in 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 the business and, you know, telling ourselves that... This keeps happening to me because I am, you know, the industry is very triggering of insecurities, right? So I think whatever your insecurity is, it's, it's similar like when you don't get a job or when you get broken up with you're like, okay, they broke up with me because of this, which right. isn't necessarily true, but you project because it, Oh, it's so triggering of insecurities. Yeah. So I think you just have to get good at kind of recognizing what your insecurities are, what your triggers are. And just, there's this teacher who I've listened to a lot in interviews, but she's a writer and she's, I think that her books would be deemed kind of in the self-help category, but her name's Byron Katie Mm-hmm. And her main thing is is that she talks to her clients a lot about and she talks a lot about in interviews is just the simple act of asking yourself, you know, can I really say that this is true? Do I have the evidence and facts to back this up? And I think more often than not especially with the mind games we play with ourselves and how negative we can be and harsh on ourselves. It's usually, we usually don't have evidence to support those thoughts, you know? (laughs) No,
2: not at all. And it's, you know, I, I saw, um, I just happened upon this YouTube clip. It was, uh, Eckhart Tolle who basically just sits on stage like Yoda and just, and he said something that was so impactful to me about, he said, well, uh, I'm not going to attempt to do his accent, but he said thoughts are basically thoughts are entities, yes, yes. And, and and they feed on your attention, and that's what yeah. they do. So when yeah. you have a thought and you give it a little bit of attention, it mm-hmm. gobbles a little bit and it gets big. I'm paraphrasing. It gets bigger and bigger, and then before you know it, you're you know this one little thought turns into you know oh my life is worthless and I can't because it just it gets yes. bigger and grows, and so that's where the mindfulness comes in of sort of acknowledging yeah. like okay, I'm having this thought. Mm-hmm. I don't have to pay attention to it. Exactly. And it will move on. And it, just even thinking about thoughts as, as their own individual entity and mm-hmm. need to survive a survival instinct on their own
3: Yeah, was,
2: was paradigm shifting for me because mm-hmm. it makes all the sense in the world.
3: Yeah, and it's, you know, Eckhart Tolle talks about this a lot. Um, it, it's It's kind of, and this is, you know, I'm still striving to do this. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it just doesn't, but trying to be a witness to your thoughts and looking at them as entities that are separate from you. You know, I think he says, and a lot of other um, authors and, and, and kind of self-help, I don't want to call him a guru, but you know, like people of his kind say this, that your thoughts are not you. And that's another thing that's just like to implement that is really difficult, but the occasional reminder of that is important, and it's so funny actually because I I was reading The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle when we were uh, shooting season one of The Boys, and I and I loved it. It made a profound impact on me, and it's really you know, and what he says about how if you're you know, if you're anxious, you're too stuck in the future. And if you're depressed, you're stu- too stuck in the past. And that rang so true for me. And I was reading his book and it was, it was really enhancing my ability to be present. And it was really, um, you know, kind of the way, like, I don't know, meditation or antidepressants can just make you can elevate your spirits. That's how much this book did for the, while I was reading it. And, to the degree that it, that it for a moment, I, I had to drop the book until I finished filming because it hindered my acting a little bit, which, which might be just very individual to me, but it made me so kind of at peace with the present. And especially towards the end of season one, I have to be crying a lot, okay? And I was having, and I've never had trouble doing this. I was having trouble crying on set because I had Eckhart Tolle <laughs> in my head saying, "Well, you need to ask yourself: Is there anything wrong right now? Is there anything wrong? And if there's anything like, wrong, Don't get
2: healthy yet. Don't get healthy yet. It's I need to be broken to do this. Totally. Like,
3: yes. And it was like, you know, he says, if there's something wrong and you can control it, fix it. If the, if you can't fix it, embrace it. And I was like, fuck Eckhart." You're helping me too much. He was was talking to me in my head and I had to cry and I couldn't get there because I just felt so at peace. So it's a testament to the book. And I tell people, you know, who, let's say they want to do a digital detox. They want to be present or they just want an overall, like, um, I don't know, spiritual car wash. I say, read that book. But it was just so funny because it was so powerful to me that it literally hindered my ability to cry on set. That's so it made interesting. me feel so at peace for a moment. That's great. I mean, it is
2: that, it's that great thing. And, and I wonder about this a lot of time too, where I think like, oh, if I felt, you know, uh, if, if I were less ambitious and, you mm-hmm. know, if I were more fulfilled, if I'm more, mm-hmm. if, if I become more fulfilled or I am more fulfilled and then I don't work as hard, then I don't achieve as much. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times I would just sort of stop there. Yeah. And, you know, now I go, well, Yeah, but isn't the goal to be happy? It's like, it's not to chase happiness like it's some kind of a drug. Right. The idea is to be happy in the moment. And if you don't need to do all that other stuff, but you lead a happy and balanced life and you're happy and your your significant other is happy and healthy. Yeah. What else do you, like... Truly. It's fun to do. It's fun to work. Mm -hmm. It's fun to... But to, but to do it because it's joyful and not because you're trying to fill a hole or not because you to define you because you have a low self-esteem and you want to be, you know, and that's such an, it's just such an interesting, um, the more you focus on the actual present, like you're saying, it's like Mm -hmm. a lot of the other stuff just falls away. And it's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I think this is how we were meant to, I think this is how we were meant to feel.
3: I think so. I think so. And it's really hard to be present and not be, you know, I think if you have that ambition in you, you're always going to have it to a certain extent. I believe, I don't think you can totally, I, I mean, and I think it's a good thing. You know, I think you can, I think you can balance, hopefully that's what I'm trying to do. Balance, you know, being present with ambitions so that they kind of, are able to exist simultaneously so that you're fulfilled, but you, you're, you're motivated to work. But that balance is really hard to strike because, because, you know, I kind of have the, I kind of just will read literature like The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, or I will, and I'll try to have those really healthy thoughts. And some days it works, some days it doesn't, some days I am just thinking about the future and what's next. But I think the more you just kind of consume that type of literature or just listen to podcasts that, that involve people who kind of speak that way through osmosis, you start to maybe perhaps be able to practice it a little bit more, Mm -hmm. but the balance is hard to strike, especially if you're an innately ambitious person, it's hard, you know, it's hard to, to kick that constant kind of obsession with the future, which I still have. And I have now more than ever because quarantine's kind of uncomfortable and yeah. actors aren't working as much. And like, I'm not working till January. And I hate this feeling of being in quarantine. And I've never felt this way where I just want to fast forward my life to January. Right. And I hate that. And I am trying to, I am trying my best to kind of fight against that and be present, but um, right now as a right now it's better to practice that than any time before because so many of us are uncomfortable with staying present given what's going on in the world and given the dormancy of things, you know because you're lucky because you can talk to people and people are home and 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 you know a lot of us are able to tap into creative outlets we normally can't, but at the same time like, I just, I'm desperate to be back on set. I'm desperate for life to resume. So I am, I am, I am struggling with the presence thing now, but I think awareness and acknowledgement of the need for it in your life is the first step. Right. And then.
2: Well, yeah. And you also know, it's just a process. Like some days you feel grounded and other days, you know, you don't, but you also know, like well, that's just part of it. And tomorrow I could feel fine again. And January, will be here before you. And it's already August.
3: Totally. I know. And I know.
2: I was saying to my wife that, you know, yes, this is a horrible circumstance that the world is in. The mm-hmm. little gift of it has been, we've gotten to spend all this time together. Yes. That we never would have. We would have been running around a million directions. And yeah, that's been so wonderful. And I know that when the world resumes, you know, and it will, And we all get busy again. I know that there will be times when I go. You know, I really loved those days where we just Mm -hmm. watched movies all day and got. I mean, again, we're very fortunate that we're able to do this, and I understand well. But you know, I just miss the simplicity of hanging out with my wife and walking the dog. I just and that, and I think those are the life moments Mm
0: -hmm. that
2: you really remember more than. Oh, the ambition yeah. Moments which burn away like rocket fuel, you know, it's like you know, yes, ambition's neutral, but in but but if you let it consume you, then it's just like it's never enough, no thing is ever totally,
3: enough. totally. And I think that's what quarantine has taught a lot of people, especially myself, which is that, like, okay, without work and productivity and just doing, 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 who am I? And in reality, it really is just about. At least for me, and I think a lot of people have had the same revelation who I've spoken to in terms of some close friends of mine, it really is just about the friendships and relationships, and that was that's been subtracted from our lives during this time we've We're able to face time we're able to and and I've done some outdoor safe hangouts with people and and I have not been totally alone throughout this, but the 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 subtraction of that has meant more to me than the subtraction of work. And it just kind of made me realize, oh, it kind of clarified priorities and that in a really accelerated way. Like when life becomes simple and you're just home every day and there's nothing to do, what are the most important things? And I think for most of us, I think I would say a lot of people kind of get to this point. I think that's why people have families. And I think that's why, but it's about the relationships. Like it's about, you know, the romantic and the platonic ones. And, um, that has definitely been, it's been a nice revelation to have because at 26, I'm kind of in the limbo period between still being, you know, feeling like I'm too, I'm too young to have a family, but but that is floating like around eventually. But it's, but I have friends here who are like my chosen family. And, you know, I have a dude. And those are kind of where those matter more than showing up to set. Yeah. And quarantine has clarified that. And that's been really, you know, it's been a really dark period, but there are certainly. The, mo- the benefits that have been most common that I've been hearing about are A, the clarification of priorities that people get from this time of stillness, and B, like families being together for the first time in years. Like I was talking to a friend who is having dinner with his college age kids every night for like four months, and he's never done that in his entire life, you know?
2: <laughs> That's so funny to hear that. Like, I said to Lydia, like, I don't think uh-huh. I... I didn't I haven't eaten home this much since yeah. early, like high school, you know? Yeah. Like, and and it's great. Like there's we yeah. really understand this sort of like mealtime and you feed the dog yeah. and now we're eating and we're kind of catching up and we're yeah. you know it's about the connection. And you will you remember anytime you've ever taken a trip with friends or had a really great hangout with friends, mm-hmm. that feeds you so much more than like oh, that time I almost killed myself getting to a thing across the country. Totally you know? So yeah. It's just balance. Everything's balanced. I, I know it's like some ambition's good, but to mm-hmm. be consumed isn't great. Do you have, um, are there any, besides interior design, are there particular hobbies that you have? Are there other things that you've cultivated during this that you had never really mm-hmm. had time to focus on before?
3: Um, you know, I, um, what I've been doing a lot throughout, so because I grew up in New York city and I was often like, I've always spent time in urban environments. I started doing, and because we can't really travel at all safely during quarantine, which I I travel a lot, like for work, but also for pleasure. I started to camp a lot during quarantine and go up to like Northern California and just figure out kind of creative ways to get out of LA and um, take weekends or weeks away Mm -hmm. and I gotta be honest, like I had never, like I'm a New York City kid and I had never, I love nature, always have, but camping, I had never done before. And one of my best friends got a camper van. And so we've been going up religiously all the time to Northern California. And hiking and he surfs and we'll go to Big Sur. And so that has been really, really nice and has been, you know, because we're camping, you're able to do it under very safe circumstances. And, um, it's been really essential because being stuck, being in my apartment for too long and, um, not being able to get away at least a little bit can kind of shrink my perspective. So that's been great. Mm -hmm. So I've taking up camping and also like learning about how self-sufficient we are when we're able to go camping or go camper vanning is really fun. So I've done that. Um, I mean, Like, I've just been cooking loads, which is the cliche of, you know, I haven't done the sourdough kit, so I don't fall totally into the cliche of quarantine. And then I just, like, it's just been, to be honest with you, like, a lot of time spent with my dog, a lot of time spent um, reading, Mm -hmm. which I normally do, but this is just, like, reading, taking an afternoon to just read is foreign to me. Unless it's like a weekend, I don't do that anymore. So I think I've read about five books so far in quarantine. And, um, and just watching old movies that I'd never watched before. When And that when I would tell people I hadn't seen them, I would get gasps in the room. <laughs> so I kind of took it upon myself to watch some movies. And it's funny because I, because I watched so many movies from like 60s, 70s, 80s, which I think are like the best era eras for filmmaking and then and then I filled my quota and then I just started watching mindless things but lots of old movies lots of camping lots of cooking um I wish I was one of those people who had taken up a new language but I'm not I haven't I haven't I haven't done the Rosetta Stone yet
2: I did it I did it We well, did it I, I did it I did it before I was doing it before quarantine because we went to we went to Italy in, two, in 2019 uh. And I started Italian in college. So I'm like, I'll pick it up again. And we have some, and, um, and so I did, you know, I did. And, and then we just, and I thought I was doing great. And Mm -hmm. then we just watched an Italian horror series on Netflix called Quran. Uh C-U-R-O-N, Quran. And, um, uh, and I was like, I had to read all the fucking subtitles. And I I was so discouraged. I'm like, because it's. You know, when people start talking natively, they don't speak speak like they speak speak colloquially. Yeah. And every region is a little bit different. And i, and I like, I picked, I would pick up stuff and then go, God, I've
3: been i know for like two years. Why didn't I? I know? know. That's what happened to me. Like when I was, cause I got to the point, unfortunately, I'm definitely not still there, but I got to the point of being nearly fluent in Spanish, but then I would go to Spain where I went a few times and people would just converse and they're just so fast and yeah. so effortless. And I, it, was so, it was such a bummer because, like you said, when you're in class, it's just different. It's the way you speak and you think you're doing so well. And then it just means when we can, you've got to go back to Italy and spend I some know, time I,
2: I I would love to at some point. I really would. I, 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 I did try to experiment with a little brain hack, which is mm-hmm. when someone's speaking to you or when you're mm-hmm. speaking, it's coming from a different part of your brain than when you speak natively mm-hmm. because – You just associate words with things in your own language. So I started trying to imagine that Italian words were synonyms for objects.
3: Right, interesting.
2: Clearly it didn't work.
3: The people that I know who are like truly, truly bilingual, my mom included, like she lived in Paris for a little bit. She speaks French. I find that like you either need to grow up with the language or visit a native country for the language a lot.
2: And just live there for a bit.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, was your visit to Italy? Did it catalyze the desire to like go back?
2: Oh, totally. Like, yeah, because yeah. we were only there three. Weeks. We we were there for well, we were there for two weeks, and we went to Paris and we went to London. But um, mm-hmm. but it just, but there was so much of Italy that we didn't get to see. Yeah, and it's regionally, it's also different. And yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm. We're we're dying. It's di- so beautiful. It's incredible.
3: It's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm. I. I mean. It will be nice when, you know, things get better. Things like going on a trip to Italy are going to seem even more magical. Like, just the little things that we used to be able to do, no. At least momentarily, we will not be able to take them for granted.
2: Sitting inside a cafe right now, and that, that's a totally. funny thing about, about priorities. It's like, you know, oh, my God, I wish we could go to Italy. Well, let me shrink this down. I wish I could just yeah. go to the cafe I had breakfast at every morning. We can't go there yes. now. Yes. Right? And so totally. – does change all it ch- change your perspective but i i, I don't want to take up too much of your time mm. as we're wrapping this out mm. you know what do you with without mm-hmm. obviously with this business it's good to be present like some planning is good to sort of look at yes. some are there other types of things that you want to do do you want to produce mm. want to direct or are you writing mm-hmm. is there any is there mm-hmm. anything else or are you pretty firmly because you're going to mm-hmm. You're going to act as long as, I think, as long as you want to. You're great in the DeLorean movie, by the way, too. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I love that. Uh, so is, is there anything else? Is there a longer-term career trajectory mm. that you would like to branch into?
3: Yeah, you know what? I... It's, I, I'm sure I could change my mind on this in terms of directing and writing. Those two things, um, writing doesn't seem to be my forte. Directing, I don't have the desire to do it yet, but that's, things, things are always changing, right? I could be in a totally different place in 10 years, but I am desperate to produce because, especially because I, all I do is read Books and listen to the news and listen to podcasts and and NPR and and consume content that I know would just make such good movies Mm -hmm. that um, I would love to be a part of the process of producing and have my hand in the process of making film or TV more and have a little bit more control over it. Because while it's kind of – maybe liberating and relieving at times to not have control because the pressure is not on you at the same time. Like the reason why I got into this business is because I just love movies. That's it. It just was that which, and I love horror was like my first favorite genre as a child, by the way. And I know you're a horror. F- you're my, a horror my fan wife right?
2: is even more than yeah. I am. Like my wife. Yeah. Y- yeah. That's great.
3: Yeah. Love, love, but I just would I would love to produce I would love to be responsible for getting something going from ground zero to to being made into an actual palpable thing and, and, and um, be involved with with kind of shaping the story of it and seeking out good material that you know. I don't know, highlight stories and characters and humans that are a little bit unconventional that we're not often exposed to. But it would be producing. I would love to. Can I yeah.
2: give you an idea without it sounding too obnoxious? Mm-hmm. And
0: because, <laughs> Please. Yeah.
2: It is really not, this is none of my business and I don't want to be presumptuous. But uh-huh. in, in the next four months, mm-hmm. you just jot down some ideas or anything that you come across or even just put on your subconscious radar for any yeah. sort of ways that you think... Because what I envision is ultimately going to happen, uh-huh. Maybe this has already happened. So I apologize if I'm behind the curve. But The Boys is such a great show. And you have mm. said your career is really exploding. Mm. Someone's going to come to you and say like, hey, we want to give you your own thing. What do you want to do? Wow. And if mm-hmm. you have a couple ideas to produce, you can mm-hmm. package in like, I'll mm-hmm. star in this thing, but I want a production deal and I want to produce right. things. If you have that ready to go, mm-hmm. even if it's not fully fleshed out,
3: And and I'm already ahead of the curve. You're already
2: ahead of the curve and it's sort of a preparation meeting opportunity idea. So I don't mean to be rude or presumptuous. No,
3: that's actually really, it's good to hear that because I do kind of operate often from a standpoint of listening to things and reading things and thinking like, okay, what could make a good story and how could I jump in um, from the beginning as a producer? But I'd say that it's been a few years kind of operating. And and that has been, um, that's turned down a little bit in terms of like, I haven't been thinking about it as much, and it's a, it's really good to be reminded of that because it's honestly one of the reasons why I read incessantly. Mm-hmm. And there have been so many moments where I've reached out to you know my agency or my reps, and I've said, "What's the deal with the rights on this?" But you're so right, and I need to kind of um, because we have the ability to do these things right now, we, and we have time on our hands. It's a good reminder to to kind of. Keep consuming content with that lens and those ears. So you're right; it's a good it's reminder. Even
2: just thinking that way mm-hmm. I think it helps. It just kind of opens your eyes to the opportunity and manifest yeah. those things. And I don't know; it's just you. You, you have um, mm-hmm. you're so well balanced. I'm so blown mm-hmm. away. I wish I had <laughs> that that much wisdom when I was when I was 26. And um, I just, it seems so obvious to me that you're going to do such wonderful things and you are doing Mm wonderful things. And it's just been such an absolute joy talking to you. I I really, um, I'm excited for season two of The Boys. Mm -hmm. When does that premiere?
3: September 4th is when it comes out. So it's a month's. From well, it's a month from today, but that okay. is we're but this is gonna come out not when we're recording it. So it's September 4th. Great. And um, you know, I, I I hesitate to say this because I kind of want let things to speak for themselves, but I think we I definitely do I think we top season one for sure, um, in terms of shock value and even quality. So I'm excited for people to see it and that's really lovely of you to say. And I also just adore the work you do and I adore your podcast. And I just like that. You're just having very, um, you know, intimate conversations with creatives and we get to kind of peek behind the curtain that we don't normally get to do with, you know, the former versions of interviewing, which were like talk shows. And, you know, I love these long format interviews and, um, yeah. No, I just really, I really, I really dig it.
2: I appreciate that. It, it's For me, I, l- I just love connecting with people. And I yeah. love the podcast to sort of be like, oh, I'm an interesting person. We had coffee for an hour and this is what we talked yeah. about. You, you already said so many things that I want to go back and listen to because there's <laughs> such sort of wisdom life balance things. And for me, that's the joy of the podcast is sort of uh-huh.
3: wow,
2: what a great point to, to learn. Mm-hmm. So thank you for... Thank you for teaching me some great stuff in this last hour. I really appreciate it. Of
3: course. Yeah, I'm glad I could. I'm glad I could.
2: All right. Well, please stay safe and stay healthy. And um, yeah, anytime you're invited, anytime you want to come on. And uh, and I'm sure I'll see you at Comic-Con next year. Yes.
3: Uh, Yes, I would love to. And next time we'll go down the rabbit hole of horror movies and nerding out over that. That's what we have. Just real quick,
2: favorite horror movie. What's your favorite
3: horror movie? Oh, God. I'm, I really like all the, like, the original Japanese ones. Like, yep. the original, like, The Ring and The Grudge yep. and yep. The Audition and Mother. But then, honestly, like, the, that category, I would do, like, a binge of those on a marathon day. But my favorite of all time is The Shining. Like, that yep. to me is just, like, old school. I love a lot of, like, sci-fi horror. But if I had to pick one, The Shining.
2: Fantastic.
3: That's, that's, that's my, and the Blair Witch Project may be second, but like I fucking love The Shining.
2: I hope you get to meet my wife at some point because oh. she has like a laundry list of, you know, her favorite mm-hmm. Scandinavian horror, her favorite Korean horror, her favorite, you know, there's a lot of great Irish horror right now too. Oh, and yeah. So, She's she's very granular with it, and I just I feel like y'all would have a lot to talk about. So hopefully you get to okay. meet someday and, and nerd out. Yes,
3: yep, I would love I would love that. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, Aaron, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure.
3: Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having me.
2: All right, take care.
3: Okay, bye. See and- see- ID Ten T Skinning complete. Enjoy your burrito.